Hey, this is Joe Perry. You're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another edition of Focus on Metal. And this week, we continue with what we started last episode with our Doug Aldrich career retrospective. So if you haven't heard that yet, then definitely head over to uh, focusonmetal.net, go to the episodes page, and uh, check for the episode one of this, or you can also go up to iTunes and find it there. And of course, this whole entire career retrospective, besides being something that Richie always wanted to do, is in celebration of the Revolution Saints putting out their second full-length album, A Light in the Dark. And of course, we had Dean Castronovo on a few weeks ago to talk about the album, but uh, why not just do a big old super special with Doug Aldrich, a whole big career retrospective ending well, at least his career's not ending, but this whole thing ends at what's going on with the Rev Saints today. And of course, by the time you're hearing this episode, A Light in the Dark has been released now for a few weeks, so no excuse for you not to already have it in your sweaty little metal palms. So in part one, we get all the way up to Doug's re-involvement with Cal Swan, who of course he played with in Lion, and those guys got together again and formed a new band called Bad Moon Rising. And we left off last week right smack in in the middle of uh, what Doug had to say about Bad Moon Rising. So we're going to pick it up right where we left off. Yeah, did you tour much um, with Bad Moon Rising at all, Doug? We did We did shows in, in California, and we did Japan shows. Okay. Where we we tour extensively in Japan. And uh, and that would actually, you know, we did, we did okay. You know, financially at that time, the budgets were pretty good and stuff. But it got to the point where... We needed to, we needed, they told us, you guys are already really big in Japan. If you're gonna, if you're gonna break out, you need to get a U.S. deal. At that time, grunge had already hit. There was nobody interested in touching a band like Bad Moon Rising. Yeah. So, we decided what we would try and do is, is kind of move our sound a little bit into the more modern, grungier stuff. And that's when we did the Opium for the Masses record, which was a, it was a really good record, but it alienated our original fans. Yeah. Now, who's Noel Golden who produced that? I've never, his name is not familiar to me. He was just a, a local engineer. He's a Canadian engineer that was very talented. And, and, um, I actually, I forget who he had done that led us to him, but, Somehow, um, we got with him and he, I think maybe he, he might have, I, I actually don't even remember how we got it hooked up with him, but he was really talented. Yeah. And we made it, we made a good sounding record and we were really happy with it. And as far as it went, it was kind of a mix of grunge and, and wasn't full on grunge at all. It just had a flavor of grunge on top of our already kind of heavy melodic sound. Yeah. Well, it had. And, it had solos in it, and it was it was a, a stripped-down rock record. Like the song that I love on that is uh, "Belligerent Stance," the opener. It, it's very familiar. It's just very thunder and lightning, Tin Lizzy sounding. Over in the corner with a back against the wall 
That's right. Because Cal and I love we love Steve yeah. Lizzie. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, that Cal's the one that turned me on to um, Thunder and Lightning because I stopped listening to Sin Lizzie um, after like not jailbreak, but somewhere after that, I, st- I stopped listening to Lizzie. And he goes, hey, they made this record with this guy, John Sykes. And I heard that record, and I thought, wow, this is great, man. This is like this is like Lizzie on steroids. Yeah. So that was our influence on on that. And a couple other things. We had been in... I, I, I love um, Gary Moore and um, some other guitar players that were out at the time and they had that aggressive sound, you know? Yeah. Now, you did a couple of solo albums in, in, in the 90s as well, um, instrumental albums. Um, is it more challenging to, do, to, to write an instrumental album than it is with lyrics, or is it pretty easy for you to do that? Um, it, was, it was fun, because I was a huge fan of Jeff Beck, and I wanted to do it. Actually, I never thought of doing a solo record. It wasn't like I decided hey, I needed to do a solo record. What it was was, in Japan, the record company said, we think we... We've got a fan base for you, You've, and we you could do a, a solo record that would do really well, and um, I think it did pretty good. You know, I don't know if it did great, but they had me do another one, and they were both primarily instrumental, and and I loved it, man. It would basically just be like taking uh, a song that I could have given to Cal and to sing on, and um, just playing guitar melodies instead like how what Jeff Beck did or Satriani or any of those guys. And in fact, Andy produced the first one, co-produced the first one with me, Andy Johns. Yep. So it was, it was cool. I liked it. And that was a time when home recording started to get popular. So I decided to use some of the budget that, you know, some of the recording budget, instead of going to the studio, I bought some ADATs. At the time, the digital tape recorders. Yeah. And so I, I did a lot of work at home. But then we mixed it pro- in a proper studio. And it was funny, man, because Andy you know, would be at the studio mixing, and I, I was at home finishing solos, and I'd bring them to, to the studio at around 6 o'clock every day, and then we'd drop them into the we'd, – we'd re-record them into the tape machine, and we'd finish the mix in a couple hours. And so – I think we could have done it. The mix could have been better because we weren't able to focus as much on it as we were trying to just complete it. And in fact, one time, Andy told me again, he goes, fuck him, just tell him to send him 20 grand more. And I'm like, I can't do, <laughs> I can't do that because I got to pay that money back, you know? Yeah. So we just had to finish it. So yeah. we did. Okay. So tell tell me about Burning Rain. Um, how did you get, how did you know Keith, Keith St. John? I didn't know him. I was um, a friend the bass player from Bad Moon Rising said, because I, I wanted to get back to the sound of what I was into. I didn't want to follow, I didn't want to chase the, the, the what was going on at that time was not so much grunge but like kind of pop rock or something. I it, it was, I was, I just wanted to keep the music back, I wanted to get the music back to where I wanted it to be, which was more blues based kind of you know, influenced by the bands I liked, like Zeppelin and Van Halen and Deep Purple and White Snake and stuff like that. So this guy, the bass player Ian Mayo, said, "Why don't you meet this guy Keith? He's um, a great singer, and and he really is. And he's got he's got you know some qualities about him that remind me of of Coverdale, and also um, you know he, he he's he's." confident like a David Lee Roth he's got a Steven Tyler-esque thing too and we met and we wrote three or four songs and I liked it a lot and I thought this is cool this is getting back to the the point so that's how that's why and how it started because Cal I would not have quit working with Cal but Cal definitely wanted to go in a different direction still he was you know um, I can't remember the names of the bands, but like, you know, Third Eye Blind or stuff like that, where it wasn't so much heavy singing, it was more kind of melodic, just songwriter singing. And um, he, he he just decided he wasn't into that heavy stuff at all. 
So I, that's why I decided, okay, I'm going to do Burning Rain. Yeah. And Cal and I are still friends. We, he just, he quit the music business years ago. He'd been approached actually by his first band, Titan, to do a, a thing. And by the way, Titan had Simon Wright from drums, on drums. Oh, yeah. For me. Yeah. So, um, they asked Simon and, and Cal to come back and do a festival where they're going to, you know, make some pretty good money. And Cal decided he's just not into it. Okay. Not, didn't want to, didn't want to go back to singing. Didn't, just not into it. So he's done very well for himself in the movie industry. Um, he does, um, what's called is, uh, they call it, it's like a, I forget what they call it. Show, prop master. That's what they call it. Prop master. Prop masters make it all happen behind the scenes. They design the whole thing so that if they're filming a commercial and they need the truck to, you know, burn rubber, he makes it so that they get the maximum amount of smoke off the tires. You know, that's what his, so he, he loves that stuff. It's still creative and he gets paid well. He's in a union and it's good. Excellent. I've, I've actually had people ask me what's happened to Cal Swan because a lot of people don't know. Because he's not yeah. in the music business. Nope, and yeah. he, and he probably won't be. But but he's he's a great dude and great singer, and he's probably the reason that I was got approached by by Whitesnake was because of Cal. Okay. Just in a long, in a you know, I mean, I know that David Coverdale found me through my time at Dio, but Cal gave me this these Whitesnake roots that never and still haven't really gotten appreciated in the U.S., the early white bank records. Yeah. The Dio gig, when I've, I've interviewed Tracy G on the show who played in a couple of Dio records in the 90s and yeah. he, he told me that he didn't actually play any songs with Ronnie when he auditioned, that he jammed to see whether it would work. Is that the same with you or, or did you not jam at all because you'd already been offered the gig in, in 1990? Yeah, he, he already knew about my playing enough. We didn't, we didn't jam the, the second time and I was confident when I saw him he he um what happened was and by the way he's Tracy was right we didn't really we we jammed too we jammed we played Holy Diver and I think Heaven and Hell or something that was it we kind of just jammed through him and very lightly and it was I didn't think it was a great audition but Ronnie thought it was good it was good enough to offer he was like I like it we went to the pub that's what we did <laughs> we hung out at the pub because that's what that's what Dio did, did, you know, and that was part of who Ronnie was was 
was like he liked that English culture of the times when he was in Rainbow and in Sabbath. Yeah. And um, so we found an English pub down in Burbank, and that's where we hung out in 1990. And that's when I realized that I, if I went with him, that I was leaving my band and I was going to let down Cal and Mark and the guys in line. So, but anyway, um, I had done a session with Jimmy Bain, um, and Jimmy said, Hey, would you be interested in, you know, thinking about joining Dio again? Cause I think we're looking for a guitar player again. And I said, absolutely. I would love it. And I talked to Jimmy four or five times over a period of two or three months, you know, he would say, Hey Doug, are you still in something? I'm like, yeah, but what are you, I mean, is this serious or what's, I mean, does Ronnie know you're talking to me? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows. We're just, we're not sure yet. We're not sure. I'm not sure what he's doing. We're not sure. So then they started their record. They went in the studio and they had tracked like a couple songs and, um, they realized that Craig wasn't going to work out for this. I guess, he had some problems at home or something. He couldn't, couldn't focus on it. And I, I get, I get it. All these things happen with life, but, um, that's when it was the day after Christmas, Ronnie said, let's go to the pub. So we go to the pub and we're sitting there having a beer. And he's like, how have you been? I'm good. How you been? Good. Well, Doug, what do you think about playing, um, on a couple songs on our record? And I was like, no, not interested in that. And I said, I want to, I'm going to do it. I want to join the band. I want to do it proper. Like you originally asked me. And he goes, great. Okay. Come tomorrow. Let's start. <laughs> so <laughs> they were already in the studio and, um, they did have a couple drum tracks recorded, but that was it. And then we recorded, we tracked the rest of the drums first. And then we went back and started doing guitars and bass overdubs. And then I realized that there were, only eight songs and we needed to write a couple more songs so we did that as well yeah I think that album's excellent I love it Killing the Dragon You know, that was a really, it was a really good, it was a kind of like Ronnie wanting to get back to his roots on that stuff. Because as you said, I was really, in, in hindsight, I was really proud that Ronnie made it through the grunge years, you know, and he stuck in there and he, him and Tracy made a couple of records with Jeff Pilsen and Chuck Garrick and uh, they, he made it through those years, but he wanted to get back to a more old school guitar record. That's what he told me. He goes, I want to get back to my original sound. Yeah. And um, most of the songs were already written, but we did write a couple songs um, that were in that direction too. So we we went for it, and the record had a great vibe about it. And it was a good, it was like when people heard that record, they're like, this is great. Ronnie's getting back to his old sound, and he, it got some really good reviews. And then Wendy said, okay, we got this tour. It's a really awesome tour. It's going to be, you guys are going to support Deep Purple and Scorpions, and you get an hour's 
opening slot, which is a great slot. And this tour sold really well. This is starting, this is like getting back to the hard rock bands taking over in the summer again, you know, in 2002 or three. It was 2002, actually. So we went on this tour, and by the end of our set, every night when we were doing songs like Heaven and Hell and, and Holy Diver and Man on Silver Mountain, Last in Line, the, sh- the show was packed. It was every night. It would start off a little light, but it was packed by the end. And we were having a great time playing really big places and supporting great bands. And, mm-hmm. and Ronnie put me out there, man. That's when you know people started to find out that I was a person, you know, was, uh, was Ronnie really got me out there to a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. Now the Holy Diver, the live album, um, I, I saw you on that tour in Dublin and from what I remember, Craig Goldie was supposed to go on that tour and you were literally a last minute replacement. Is is that true? Yeah, it was. Um, it was, I didn't know they were doing a DVD for that until I showed up. they, I started to ask, like, what, what are all these cameras following Ronnie around? What's, what's he doing? <laughs> and, and, and Simon said, I don't really know uh, either. And a couple, a day later or so, Wendy got there and she said, we're, we're, we're going to make a DVD, Doug. And I'm like, well, shouldn't we talk about it first? You know, and by the way, I haven't played with Ronnie in, in years. So, you know, I need to, I hope it's, she goes, don't worry, it's in, in like two weeks. So we we had a or a week or two whatever. So we had um, a few shows, then and then we did the Holy Diver DVD. But you know we did another DVD before that called Evil or Divine when I was in the band. Yeah, have you, have you ever seen that? Yeah, I've seen, seen it. Yeah. That? Oh yeah. That that was at the end of that year long run with Dio, where he we were tighter than hell, man. We we played, I don't know, almost a couple hundred shows, maybe something like that. And, um, well, we played a lot anyways, and we were very tight. And that was the third to last show of that, of that year. And so we made Eler Divine. I was in Whitesnake after that, and I'm sure you'll ask me about that, but, but that's why, on, for anybody that's, that wants to know, is that's why I wasn't in the band in 2005 when the, the Holy Diver was made, was because Craig had come back. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll go on to Whitesnake. Did you know David Coverdale at all? Like, Did he tell you that there was a particular album that you played on that piqued his interest? It, it was my solo record, actually. The second solo record was the one that, um, he, and it sounds nothing like Whitesnake. It's more of a Jeff Beck style thing, but he is a fan of Jeff Beck. I'll, I will say that. He's one of the guitar players that he was working with, um, 
that was gonna that was meant to be where Reb beaches or where where Reb was. Um, he um, had my record and he played it for him. A guy called Doug Bossy, who's a really great guitar player, and he would he had been working with David on his solo stuff, and then David said, "Okay, I'm gonna." I'm going to revisit Whites. I'm going to get Whitesnake out of hiatus. And, um, and he was talking to Marco and Doug about, you know, being in that Whitesnake band. And they were looking for a lead guitar player. But the funny thing is, is, is that when I was on tour with Ronnie, Scorpions came to Ronnie and said, Hey, next year we're going to do 2003. We're going to do a tour two months with Whitesnake and the original not the original, but with Coverdale and Sykes, and it's going to be Coverdale Sykes, and um, and we and the Scorpions, and Ronnie said no, and Jimmy and I were we were tortured because we were like that's a great tour, White Snake and and uh, Scorpions and Dio that would be that would kill, and Ronnie said nope, not doing it. We're gonna we're gonna make a new record. So then David came to me during that tour. Uh, Deep Purple guys said that he had called them and said, is that guy out on that tour? And they said, yeah. And so he sent some people out to f- do some filming of me and I, which I didn't know about. And then he called me and said, what do you think about doing a tour with Ronnie? I'm a, a, sorry, a tour next year with me. And I said, well, I need to speak to Ronnie about it because we're going to make a record. And I spoke to Ronnie. Ronnie goes, yeah, two months. You, it's cool. You go do it go make some money and have some fun, you know, but two months turned into almost 12 years. <laughs> and that was a, that was a problem for the Dio band. Cause you know, they wanted to make this record and, and it was, um, it was going to be a long process. I was really enjoying working with David, you know, and, and David said, look, I want you to stay. I want to, I really, it's a good fit for both of us. But originally when I met him, I said, I, in fact, even when I heard about it, that he was looking at me, I was like, why was, why is he looking at me when he's got Sykes? You know, he's already got a guitar player. So when David called me, I said, listen, I I just want to say I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work. I love your playing, but um, I heard you were looking for a guitar player. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not interested in being in, in a, in a band with Sykes because Sykes is the lead guitar player. That's what I am too. And in fact, I, you know, as you know, I'm playing with Dio in, uh, in the lead guitar spot. And he goes, no, 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 I want you. I don't, I don't want Sykes. And I was like, really? What happened? You know, he, he said, we just, we just, just, I decided that, you know, I didn't, and I, I, I know that they had some, some trouble in the past and whatever. And, and, um, John's an amazing guitar player and I'm a fan of his. I love John's work. And, um, but it didn't work out. And so he said, do you want to do this? Two months. I said, yep, sounds good. So we did it. And like I said, it, it just felt great. And I decided to carry on. But in between the, the tours, I would, I planned to go and write with Ronnie, as I said, and help see, you know, how that turned out. And, but Ronnie, decided that he did want a tour, that he had been offered a tour with Iron Maiden, and he did want a tour, and I had already committed to David. I think what it was is David and Ronnie did not like each other at the time that much, because mm-hmm. David did grab a, a previous guitar player in, uh, in in Vivian. Yeah. So that was Ronnie. And I think that, I think there was a point where Whitesnake was supporting Dio on some tour and that was weird. And then when White Snake blew up, they, I think they had some bad blood from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so can you tell me, Doug, um, what's the first song you and David wrote? I think it was a song. I think it was a song called Dog. It was just a simple kind of Bo Diddley kind of groove. And then there was a riff that, that an ascending riff that was kind of, and um and also ready to rock was was one of the first ones and i think he liked that cuz it it kind of had like a deep purple riff to it kind of like almost like a burn riff but it also had some flavors of coverdale page in it oh, 
those are the first two we wrote and a, and a ballad um trying to think of the title now you're actually able to remember the names of the songs you won't believe the people <laughs> I've spoken to and they're, they ask me is, is it on that album or is it on this album <laughs> yeah I'm trying to get I'm think, singing it in my head trying to get to the chorus these are the four um, songs that are on the the live uh, yes the live album yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you if you want me was one of them. Okay. And and then the last one was the ballad that was one of the first songs we wrote too. Yeah. Did you find um, it, did you find it odd at all, Doug, Doug, that Reb wasn't involved in the songwriting at all because he'd written some brilliant songs with with, uh, with Kip Winger. Yeah, I, I I did. I did find it odd. I think the whole time that I was in the band with Reb, I think Reb just didn't ever when I was in the band never he never felt good about it or something i don't know it um originally we had a natural competition thing and i think that's something that david thought was useful you know because you get guitar you get two lead guitar players going for a job that you know really only need one lead guitar player really unless you're doing a thin lizzy type thing or an almond brothers thing and that's kind of what happened with white snake in the end is it it's like a heavy Almond Brothers. But um Reb just I don't think he ever really flourished in the band and David would always tell everybody, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing some writing. Send me you know, send me what you guys got, we'll see what we got but prior to that, nobody ever talked to David. It was like they were Reb was happy just to, to play the hits, you know, and that's what he always wanted to do is let's play still of the night. Let's play and I explained to the guys that you know, if we're going to carry on, the audiences are going to get smaller and smaller unless we make some kind of record and put some kind of new music out. And nobody, nobody went for it. It was like, they just were like happy to play the, and I'm talking about everybody, Tommy, Timothy, Marco, nobody was really interested in, and in rep. Nobody was interested in, in writing. They were interested in touring. Where the money, you know, that's where the money really is, anyways. But um, at around 2006, after I had been asked by Ronnie to come back a couple times, and Ronnie really wanted to make another record together, I told David, I go, look, I don't want to be in a cover band. So, you know, are we going to ever get in the studio? He goes, Doug, I, I guarantee you, you and I have a chemistry. You and I are going to be in the studio at some point with this band I don't I'm not going to tell you it's a full record maybe he already had a plan to put some songs on with a live record so he was I'm not going to tell you it's a full record but you and I will be in the studio I can promise you that and I stayed and we we wrote those four songs for the live record and maybe he, he had that actually we had a couple of those songs started prior to that but we didn't really do anything with them but we revisited them and we we rewrote them but um, I got to be honest with you is that Reb's style did not fit with what we were doing anyways because the songs that Reb did send were a different style it was more of the of the um like the stuff in Winger and David was going for more of a I actually said to David look what I would suggest is we go for more of a bluesy sound because you know your, the main core audience is, is outside of the U.S. So we should go back to the sound like what Lion was and what early White Snake was. It was, you know, the heavy blues-based stuff. And David liked it. And the other thing is is that, um, you know, I don't think Rev had the had the background. of Rev could play anything, and he's, he's a great guitar player. He could play anything, but his background wasn't prior to slide it in. He didn't know any of those records. And I was trying to explain to everybody, we got to get the, you know, they'd be like, man, why do we got to play this, this song is, uh, walking in the shadow of the blues. It's just a, it's a song is, I don't know. It's no good. You know, <laughs> let's play the hits. Why are we playing these songs? And it's because they were hits in, in Britain and in Europe. Oh yeah. And I knew that. <laughs> I, I knew. So, you know, um, stuff like songs off Come and Get It, Ready and Willing, people like that because it was groovy. But 
they didn't get it. Uh, why why are we playing these songs? Why why not play? We're going to take Crying in the Rain out of the set? What, are you kidding me? You know, well, yeah, we're, we're going to do that because David wants to. That's what he wants to do. And people, even Reb would say that he would say Doug is the, is the MD of Whitesnake. Well, I wasn't the MD. Nobody ever, I didn't get paid extra for doing anything. I just wanted to see the band grow, go forward. And not only in, not only in songs, but in touring, because the audiences were getting smaller. And until we started putting out original music again. Yeah. But the bottom line is, is it started off really innocently, me and David just kind of dabbling on some ideas. He he wanted to see what we'd come up with. And after talks, he knew that I had a background in what he liked. And then we, we did the first record for SPV, the Good to Be Bad record. He and I were on a roll. We were like really into it. And I was really proud of that record. In fact, that's my favorite stuff that we had done was Good to Be Bad. Again, had this bluesy stuff, and I was I brought back slide guitar to the band a little bit, where he hadn't really been doing that too much. They used to do s slow and easy with a whammy bar, you know. So I wanted to kind of meld the two periods together, the early stuff and the other stuff. And I felt really proud of what we did. And I don't think, you know, no offense to Redley, I, I don't think he quite understood what we were doing, you know. Yeah, I, I want, just want to ask you one more White Snake question, Doug, before we, yep. we move on a little bit. What's your memories of writing the title track to Forevermore? Because I think that's the best song you and David ever wrote. I, I love that track, and it's, I'm really proud of it. It was um, that was uh, the, we were we had written the we had, we had written most of Forevermore, and um, one of the other songs that I really like. Is from the the last song that is on um, the, the Good to Be Bad record was Till the End of Time. It was something really different that I brought to David at the very end, and in fact that one did go on the end of the record. Um, and then I was kind of basing it off of that one was based off of Hear My Train of Come, and I saw Hendrix playing and singing this line, and it was just a simple thing, and it was cool. So that was the inspiration on that, and then Forevermore. I wanted to, well, David said, we're done writing Douglas. We've got a corker of a record. It's great. This is prior to Forevermore. And I said, well, I I got one more idea I really want to show you. And he goes, no, 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 we're done. We're, I'm tired. I, we got to put a, we got to put a finishing line somewhere, you know, that's, we've crossed it. And I said, well, if you would just give me a chance to listen, you know, with a fresh mind and everything in the morning. And I, David got really mad at me. He said, I've always, he yelled at me. He was like, I've always listened with fresh, I've always listened to your, all your ideas, you know, and um, giving them a chance. And he did, he listened to everyone's ideas. You know, he listened to Reb's ideas. He just didn't choose them, you know. But 
this particular idea that I brought to him, I knew he was going to like it if he heard it fresh. So I played it for him in the morning, and um, he immediately sang the verse melody that you hear on that song. Wow. And it was, um, I showed him a couple different ways that I thought I could play that arpeggiated acoustic part, and he, he chose the major the one, the one that was the one that you have, because that could have been more minor. I said, I don't know how you want to do it, but this is where I got in mind, and it could be this way, it could be this way. He goes, no, 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 go back to the other way. So I did it, and he sang this melody, and we recorded it on our phones, and then he's he's like, great work, I, I really like it. And he, he went up to take a nap and said, I said, there's a couple of, I want to build this thing into like a, like a masterpiece track, like our own Stairway to Heaven or Sailing Ships or, or you know, something like that, you know. Uh, Freebird, you know, for, for a lack of better comparison. And he goes, great, those parts all sound pretty good. So why don't you check it out and, um, you know, work on an arrangement here in the studio and I'll come back after I take a nap. And so he came back and um, he said, uh, I said, here's what I got. I could do it this way or do it this way. And, but I, I'm not sure. I think this, this way may be better. He goes, actually, I like the other way better. And I said, well, check this out, DC. Listen to this melody across it. If you carry on with what you did, it really flows nicely this way. And he said, all right, I'll buy that. So we went with that way and um, just kind of took three sections and put them together. And that's how the song kind of builds into the end, which is it gets heavy. And and, uh, and also, I always loved those kinds of things that Jimmy Page would do in like um, 10 years, 10 years gone, mm-hmm. um, where he would do like these melodies. And so I, I tried to stick a melody on the end that was kind of like a 10 years gone type of thing. So that, that, that was, um, that was how that, that came together. It was the last song. It's the last song he and I ever wrote too. Yeah. Now, after Whitesnake, um, you got Burning Rain back together for uh, another great album, Epic Obsession. Was that, was that a surprise that that band started up again? Well, actually it started up prior to Forevermore. Or no, sorry, not Forevermore. Prior to me leaving Whitesnake. It was, I was still in Whitesnake and we were doing live records and we did a DVD and a double live record, but the record company had asked me to, to finish because I had promised them a, a record for Burning Rain. I had promised Frontiers and actually that's how David got with Frontiers is Serafino had called me, um, and said, you know, put me in touch with David for the, for the, for the Good to Be Bad record, even. And I, I said, well, I think he's already done a deal, you know, and he had done a deal with, with SPV. And then um, when SPV and David stopped working together, Serafino called me and goes, can you put me in touch with him? And I said, yeah, sure. So I put him in touch, and uh, that they, they made an agreement. But then after we did Forevermore, Serafino said, where's my Burning Rain record that you promised me? I need it. I want this. I said, well, we're doing some live records right now. We're working on compiling stuff. And he goes, Doug, I need this record, man. You promised me. Come on. And he was right. I did promise him, and I needed to do it. So I was going through a rough time at home. I had basically um, split up with my with my wife, and we had a son that was basically going to live with me. And um, because because that's how I wanted it. So I was going home on the weekends to. You know, she'd have him during the week, and I'd go home on the weekends and um, take care of him during the daytime. And then at night, I would record with Keith all night long. We'd record, and then there was a couple times where I actually told David, "I need a, I just need a, a week off just so I can finish this Burning Rain thing. I got to get it done." And he he obliged, let me have a week off here or there. I can't remember. I think it was like twice I took a week off to finish it, and I would. I would uh, just work at night and then take care of my son in the daytime. And um, we got the record done, and it turned out really good. I thought Epic Obsession turned out really good. I was happy with it.
That's how Burning Rain came together. It was during my time in Whitesnake, in my free time, which was basically only on weekends, except yeah. for when we were mixing. We couldn't. I could never tour on it. We we had we, we you know probably could have got some some uh, some good offers in the band. Who knows? Maybe in the future we'll be able to do some dates yeah. proper. Now you went. You you did some shows. Um, I don't want to keep you here all night, Doug. You did some shows no. with with, uh, with Glenn Hughes. Was there ever any talk yeah. of you recording with him? Yeah, we did. We talked about it, but then he, he, he <laughs> Glenn, I, I love him. He's, 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 he's another one of my big bros. Like, you know, me, David, I consider, which by the way, today's David's birthday. I got to text him right. happy birthday. That's right. But, um, Glenn is like another one of my brothers and he's, he's hilarious. He, we had a blast. He goes, look, I want to do this this tour with you, I want to do like a trio thing, like a trapeze thing. And I was like, that sounds great. I said, hey, can we do a song too that, that is a song I wrote with David that I think would be really fun for you and me and it's good to be bad. And Glenn goes, yeah, sure. And we did a really cool, funky version of that. So he agreed to that. I agreed to go on the tour and we did talk about, we we, we sounded good together and we, we did some cool, we, we just, had fun jamming. We'd start a song and it would turn into a jam. And I, I haven't had that much fun playing live for a long time because I had been kind of, I, uh, after I left Whitesnake, I was just doing a, a tribute show in Vegas for a while called Ray in the Rock Vault, which was a great show, by the way, with killer guys, a guy, Rob McCauley, Howard Lease, and Andrew Freeman from Last in Line. And, um, Paul Shortino, a lot of great guys. Hugh from Bon Jovi. So I was doing that, but I was getting burned out on on it, and burn. And I I spent time enough taking care of my family, and I actually by that time had gotten remarried. But um, um, the Glenn asked me to do those shows, and I did, and it was a lot of fun. It was perfect timing for him to ask me to do that because I was ready to break out of the. The box, as they say. Yeah. So of course, you're in the Dead Daisies now. You've done one studio album with him and, and a great live album, and you've got the new Revolution Saints record coming out, Light in, Light in the Dark. And I yeah. spoke to Dean a few weeks ago, and you're definitely more hands-on as a band on this one than you were on the last one. Yes. Yeah. Because the last, the first one started off as a solo project for Dean, and he he asked if I'd plan it. I I was totally into it. At the time that he asked me, I was still in Whitesnake. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I said I would do it. And in the end, um, I was free to record that record. And um, we did a record. And once the label found out that he was going to have, that me and that Jack and myself had both agreed to it, they decided to make it a band. And I, that's when I I was already had already left Whitesnake, but I was... If if it was going to be a band, I was happy to to put a little more effort into you know making sure that it, guitars were right and everything. And so I I put a lot of time into that one. And then um, this one, as you say, Dean and I and Jack, uh, but especially Dean and I wrote a bunch of stuff on it. And uh, really really happy with how it turned out. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good sophomore effort for the band. Yeah, well, I'm gl- I'm glad you did a second a second record, and I know you'd, you you actually played a show as well, which kind of validates you guys as a band now because you've actually played live. And Dean agreed well, with me. Dean agreed with me when I said it to him. He said it's not yeah, a project no, now; it's a band because we played. Well, you you know, I I agree, I see all sides of that point. I I think you got to play more than one show to be a a, a full on band. I I 
I hope that we do. We got some great offers last time that we weren't able to do, and Dean and I talked about it. We'd love to to do a tour to support the record of some kind, depending on, you know, I do have my main band is Dead Daisies at this point. Um, So I've got a a schedule that I've got to do with Dead Daisies, but Revolution Saints is very important to me, and 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 Dean knows all about that. We've talked about it. He 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 knows that I need to work around that schedule, and I'm totally willing to. You know, if if we get some good offers, we'd love to do Japan and Europe. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe I don't know what we could do in the states, but maybe we talked about doing some some charity work or something, some one-offs that would benefit you know substance abuse or I would like to. Man, I well, there was a period one time when my boy got sick and I was in the hospital with him for about a month and um fortunately I wasn't in a band at that time so I could be there every day and every minute with him. But I saw kids that I saw kids that had um, you know, Christmas cards on their doors and I just felt like, Oh my God, this is this sucks. The kids have to spend Christmas in the hospital and the hospital sucks anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For anybody. Anybody that spends any time in the hospital knows it sucks. Yeah. The worst, <laughs> but um, so who knows? We, I would, I would be into do some charity work or something if we could. I would love to go to Japan with Dean and Jack if he was available. And yeah. Europe would be. Uh, we had some some offers from the UK that were really good. I think we'll just have to see how what, what happens once this record comes out. Okay. Well, well, Doug, I'm going to leave you go. You've given me a, a lot more time than I than I thought you would. So it's been fantastic to talk to you. I was allowed. I was told I was allowed to give you as much as time as you needed and or wow. wanted. And I and I, and I you said I t- I had a feeling we were going to talk for a while because you know a lot of ground to cover. It is. But the main the main point I know of the call was to for Revolution Saints, and I yeah. I just want to say this that um that I'm so proud of Dean. Of, of, he's doing great. He's done a great record. He sounds he, he he's got a, a voice like an angel. This guy he, he's unbelievable. He really he's got he's got a gift. He's an amazing drummer, but he is an amazing singer too. And um, agreed. I'm, I'm proud proud to be on this record with him. Okay. All right, Doug. Well, I'm going to leave you go 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 see your family. <laughs> so, All right, brother. So Thank you so me. much. It's been a pleasure talking yeah. to you again. Yeah, me too. Thank you for your support and everything that you do for for this for for the music biz. Because you know, without you guys and the fans, you know, we wouldn't be any we wouldn't be anywhere. You know, yeah. you guys keep it keep it alive, and and I'm a fan as as much as a player. You know, so um, I really appreciate what you do, and I yeah. appreciate your time. No problem. I'll see you out there, dog. All right, sounds good. All right, Thanks, bro. take care of yourself. Okay. Okay. You too. You Bye. too. Bye.
right, Metalheads, one final bit of trackage off of the new Rev Saints album, A Light in the Dark. Because after all, that's what started this whole career retrospective with Doug was the uh, the release of the Revolution Saints' second full length entitled, as I just mentioned, Light in the Dark. So big thanks to Doug Aldrich for coming on the show this week and giving us the uh, rundown, not just this week, but even the prior week of his entire musical history, or at least that much of it that can be encompassed within uh, two hours. And of course, there's lots of other stuff there. And if you're really interested to find out other sessions and things that Doug has done, one thing you can do is go up to YouTube and uh, start looking at Doug Aldrich stuff, and that will bring you to strings of other artists that Doug's worked with. And uh, you'll be amazed at the number of different things that he's been on. So before we roll out of here for the week, I just want to remind you that uh, there's lots of uh, past Focus on Metal episodes that are available on our iTunes feed. And as always, on FocusOnMetal.net. Go up there, go to the episodes page, and uh, you will find years and years worth of episodes that you can scroll through and either download or stream. And if you find an episode that the link isn't up there and uh, you'd like to have that one available, you can always bang an email to shout at focusonmetal.net and uh, Richie or I will pick that up and I will work to get that up onto the uh, onto the site. And as a second reminder, you know, if uh, you want more shows like Focus on Metal, then definitely head up to earpeeler.com and no, I'm not getting paid by these guys to say this. I think it's just a great place for you guys to go and you can find all the other podcasts that we work with up there, Mars Attacks and Talking Metal and Decibel Geek, all those guys are all up there on earpeeler.com, plus tons more of great hard rock and metal podcasts. So you might actually find your second favorite podcast up there by going to earpeeler.com. So anyways, that's it for this week. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, go out and get the new Rev Saints album and... Remember, focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.